0: Matthew chapter six, Jesus says in verse nine, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father in heaven, you are provider and you have provided an opportunity for us right now to sit under your word. Lord, to receive our our daily bread. You said that man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so Lord, we want to hear your word speaking to us today. And so God, would you teach us? Would you lead us? Would you comfort us? Lord, would you take these words? Would you take the truths that we'll address today? Would you package them? And would you distribute them each to our hearts as we have need? God, I pray that you would lead me, that you would anoint me in this time to be able to preach faithfully to your word, to your character with your heart for your people. And I God, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, that what we would encounter, God, is not just true things, but we would encounter our Father in heaven who provides all that we need today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Well, in this verse, in this fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus makes a shift, a noticeable shift. We have been taught to pray Father hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. We've been focusing on the heights of God's glory and character. And when we dwell on who God is, what he is worthy of, when we reflect on his rule over heaven and earth and our lives, and we take a turn, all we can recognize is our own smallness. Our own uh, uh, basic needs. And so the shift goes from praying for God to accomplish things on his behalf to asking God to accomplish things on our behalf. It goes from praying you and your to us and our. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. And so as small as we may feel, you ever notice it's interesting, all of these grand things, God, your name be holy, your kingdom, your will. And then when it comes to us, it's not give us this day, our kingdom. Give us this day, our pleasure, our enjoyment, our status, our wealth, our, it's just Lord, give me what I need for today. Give me just what I need for today. And so Jesus invites us to seek God for what we need. Daily bread, to seek God for daily bread. But what is daily bread? How are we supposed to understand what it is we're asking for? Many will say that this is simply a prayer for physical provision, right? For food. Some will say that it is a prayer for spiritually, spiritual provision because every other petition in the Lord's prayer is spiritual. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. All of these things are, are spiritual. Why would daily bread be any different? Why would it be the one physical prayer In the midst of all of the spiritual prayers, why would this be any different? Well, if it's physical, then is it just food? Is it just bread? If it's just a prayer for physical needs, is it just a prayer for food or is it a prayer for other essential needs like water and air and clothing and shelter and all of these things? And if it's spiritual, then what does that mean? Now, either way, physical or spiritual, we have to affirm that daily bread is not less than food, right? It's it's not less than the, the daily physical needs that we have. And it's specifically a reflection on Israel's time in the wilderness when God provided miraculous daily bread when they were brought out of Egypt and before they entered the promised land, when God provided manna from heaven, bread from heaven. But this simple picture of daily bread, though it may be just physical food, like it was in the wilderness, it gives us an entryway into understanding the love of God. It gives us an entryway into understanding everything that God has provided. Think about it. Okay. When a child in the middle of a tantrum tells their parents, you don't even love me. Right. You've heard that. Maybe you've said that. What does a mom say? Are you kidding me? I carried you in my own body for nine months while you leached every nutrient from the food that I ate. And then you were born and I fed you from my own body. Are you kidding me? I don't love you. What does the father say? I put a roof over your head and food on your plate three times a day. Don't tell me I don't love you we point to the most basic elements of consistent physical provision to our children as evidence of our love. That's not the exhaustive expression of our love, but it is an entryway into understanding a parent's love and concern and care for their child. The basic Provision of our essential needs as a it is a reflection of a parent's love is also a reflection of God's love. Daily provision of food is not only uh, is not the only way we experience God's love and provision, but it's a gateway for seeing all that we have, whether physical or spiritual, as God's generous, loving provision to his people. This is why, okay, we're not legalistic about praying before our meal. Like if we don't pray, it's going to poison us or something. We pray to remember where it came from. We remind ourselves to give thanks to God because of what it came from. Many will ask, well, if God wants to provide for me, if he loves me and he wants to provide for me, then why do I need to ask for it? Why do we need to ask for God's provision if he already knows what we need and he wants to do it before we ask? Because if you don't, you will forget where it came from. If you don't consistently remind yourself, if I don't consistently remind myself that all that I have is from God, then I will mistakenly believe that all that I have was my doing, that I have provided for me we'll forget where it came from and we'll find ourselves not only boasting in our own pride, but also finding ourselves becoming very anxious about the need to provide for ourselves and worried and asking ourselves, will we have what we need? If I'm responsible to provide for myself, then any ounce of deficit I have creates anxiety because I need to do something or I have left something undone so that I'm not provided for. Will will we have what we need? I was helping my older boys pack for youth camp this last week and uh, Judah, my 11 year old, came to me with the most massive duffel bag absolutely packed full, just like bursting at the seams. And he comes to me, he goes, he says, dad, do you have an, do we have another bag? And I'm thinking like, is this one not big enough? And he goes, no, I, I I can't fit everything I need in, in, in my bag. And I'm like, did summer assign you to bring clothes for everybody? Like, are you planning on hunkering down for a winter in the wilderness? Like, what in the world could you not have in here? I'm not going to go down his list, but it was hysterical. I was like, buddy, I I doubt you're even going to take a shower, much less like worry about clean clothes. You don't need all of this stuff. And he just said, I want to make sure that I have what I need. I just want to make sure I have everything. I want to make sure that I don't, I don't go without something. And I have to be honest with you. My closet is like Judah's duffel bag. I've got clothes in my closet that I haven't worn in over a year. Literally have not worn this shirt in over a year. Decided I'm going to break it out and wear it today. I've got clothes in my closet that um, over the last two years have like gotten smaller for some reason. I actually have three sizes of clothes in my closet. I have the clothes that fit, the clothes that I want to fit, and the clothes that haven't fit me since I was 25. I don't know why it's still there. Just like wishful thinking. What if I need it someday? What if like my genetics just miraculously change and I need those clothes? I don't want to have to rebuy them again. And I'm not the only one. Whether we say, I just want to be prepared, just want to have what I need, saving it away for a rainy day or some other justification, the heart of it, at the heart of that is a fear that when the time comes, we might not have what we need. We might not have what we need when the time comes. And the question fills us with anxiety. And the reason it fills us with anxiety is because sometimes people don't seem to have what they need. Let's be honest, maybe there's been times in your life when you were struggling to make ends meet or you couldn't make ends meet or you know people, you see people either in the community or in the family who have gone through times and we don't have what we need. Maybe you think about our church. God, are you going to give us what we need? You're going to provide for us a place to gather as a church. Look, the timing of this passage is not lost on me. It shouldn't be lost on you. Are we going to have what we need? Are we going to have the basic essentials for life, for worship, for community, for ministry? Are we going to have what we need? But what do we actually need? I don't want to just say that flippantly. Let's think about this. What do we actually need? Oftentimes, the anxiety that's caused by our lack of provision or the anxiety that causes us to store up wealth is not a worry that we might not eat, okay? For very few of us, it's not a concern that we might not eat. It's the concern that we might not eat what we want or where we want. Okay, Dale Bruner in his commentary on the book of Matthew said, it's interesting that God did not teach us to pray. Give us this day our daily cake. Nothing wrong with cake. Cake is delicious. Maybe one of the reasons my clothes shrunk, but it is not essential. It's not essential. We don't need cake. We don't need daily cake cake. And many of us are worried that we won't have the luxuries that we've come to enjoy. Listen, wherever, whatever your house or apartment or car, or whether you own or rent or whatever, you live in California. Okay. Yes, it's expensive because it's beautiful. Okay. It's gorgeous. People want to live here because it's wonderful, but it is expensive. And so instantly, okay, just the ability to survive in California puts you in a situation where you most likely, there are, you know, there are rare exceptions, most likely you're not going to worry about whether or not you're going to get to eat. Again, that's not a blanket statement, but we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, oftentimes we're worried about losing the luxuries that we've come to enjoy. We're worried about not being able to maintain the the, the lifestyle that we've come to enjoy or not be able to maintain the appearance of the lifestyle that we want people to think that we enjoy. Maybe the reason that you're struggling to rest in God's provision is not because you don't have enough, but because you are trying to hang on to too much. Like when I go to the grocery store, I often have to make emergency uh, grocery store visits first thing in the morning because my kids eat a lot of cereal and so we run out of milk. So I go to the grocery store just for milk. And I know I show up to Albertsons, I'm just here for milk. So I don't grab a basket, you know, and I'm, and I'm walking through and then I realize oh, but what would be nice is this. And then while I'm here, I'm gonna get this other thing and all this stuff. And then I walk up to the milk door and I'm like trying to open it with my foot, reach in. And then I've got like a gallon of milk by like hanging from the weakest part of my body, stressing out that I'm not gonna make it and it's gonna slip and just splash all over the ground. I could, just put everything else down. I would have less, but I would also have less stress in that moment, less fear. Cause all I, all I, I came for the milk. Maybe many of you have seen me at Albertsons and you're just like that dude, just grab a basket, bro. That's why they're there. It came for the milk. And so maybe we're trying to hang on to so much. We're just trying to hang on to everything that we possibly can that we're not actually able to experience or enjoy God's regular, consistent, loving provision of daily bread, the thing that we need most. We'd have less, yes. but We would have a lot less stress, a lot less anxiety in our lives if we received what we had as a gift from God and held everything else with open hands. I I don't need this. What do we truly need? Daily bread. Do you remember learning about Maslow's hierarchy of needs in school? I think we've got a slide. There it is. That looks familiar, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, Abraham Maslow was an American humanist psychologist who put this little pyramid together to explain our most basic needs as human beings. And the logic goes, unless our physiological needs are met, air, water, food, shelter, sleep, all of those things, we won't be able to concern ourselves with the next level of safety needs. And then once that is met, then we can look at love and belonging and and esteem and then ultimately the self-actualization, living your best life now. That's self-actualization. And so the logic goes, we need to focus on this and then we need to focus on that and then we need to focus on the other thing. And then we can build up and actually receive what we need. And so we're constantly trying to climb this ladder because we have these itches, these needs that we are told need to be scratched. And we're trying to scratch them as best we can. But the problem is not that we are trying to have those needs met, but we are gluttons for these things. It's not just food and drink, it is excessive food and drink. It's not just love and belonging. It's excessive sex and pornography and all of the things that just tries to scratch this deeper need that we, that we have for love and belonging and community and family and all of these things. And, and it's not just, you know, community and family. It's I've got this many friends on social media. I've got this many followers. And the next day you check it and one's gone. you who left me? who stopped and were offended. Like you didn't know them. They didn't know you. They just decluttered their feed. Stop worrying about it. We're gluttons for these things. And all of it to try to achieve this self-actualization, or as some have even divided that up, this transcendence, this communion with something larger than ourselves, whether it's humanity or deity or spirituality, whatever it is. And we're just trying to attain all of this stuff as best we can. And at best, it's trying to, trying to better ourselves. But at worst, it's the selfish pursuit of our own glory, our own comfort, our own selfish desires and luxury and status. And we're willing to step on one another in order to get there. The Bible is shockingly minimalist when it comes to what we actually need. Proverbs 30, 7 through 9 says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The apostle Paul in first Timothy six, six through 10 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. Listen to this. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. With food and clothing, with this, we will be content. Would we be content with these things? Would you be content with food and clothing? The reason this appears minimalist, because think about people in other cultures. Yes, with food and clothing, I'll be good. If I had food and clothing, I knew that I was going to be clothed and I knew that that my next meal was coming. Oh my goodness, how life would be different. This is not minimalist. Minimalist in many parts of the world. But the reason that this feels minimalist is because we were taught that Maslow was right and he was dead wrong. Maslow's hierarchy of needs is so backwards. It doesn't work. These pursuits are not something we need to pursue one by one until we build our lives up. All of them. We were meant to receive by God's grace, through God's presence, through God's son, by his Holy Spirit. All of these things we were made to receive from the hand of God. Jesus addressed this specifically in the Sermon on the Mount. Skip down in Matthew chapter 6 in your Bibles to verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Jesus knows that we're tempted to worry about these things. And isn't it great he doesn't say, don't think about these things? Jesus doesn't tell us, don't think about what you will eat or what you will drink or what you will wear. He says, don't worry. Because in the Lord's prayer, he invites us to think about it. He knows that we're aware of it. He knows that we have need for daily bread. And he invites us to not just think about it, not dwell on it, but be aware of it and bring our petition to God. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now this might feel like a a pleasant little mantra to carry around with us and like seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then everything will be added unto you. But what we typically do is go, Everything will be added unto me if I seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And since that's my true goal, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness so that God gives me everything I need. Are you seeking first the kingdom when you do that? No, you are seeking everything else. The kingdom of God is just a means to an end. But this is true. Seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all of these things will be added unto you. This is true. How can we know that it's actually true? The reason we can know that this is actually true is because the greatest evidence of God's willingness to provide our basic needs is the fact that God has provided for our greatest need at great cost to himself. We know that Jesus will give us bread just the basic elements of food, because Jesus has given us his life. He's given us everything. Jesus is the bread of life. John chapter six, verse 30. So they said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Remember, daily bread. As it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me, shall never thirst. Remember what we talked about. Remember we talked about that a a parent will point to their regular consistent provision as a sign of their love for their children. This is the evidence of God's love and care, right? How do we know that for God so loved the world? Because he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We look at God's provision and we see the love of the provider. We look at daily bread on our plates. We give thanks to God because he is the one who gave it to us. And we remember his love for us, his constant care and concern for us. And ultimately it's a window into providing the bread of life. The one who came from heaven to give life to the world. Every meal should point you to Jesus. The one that God doesn't have to give. He doesn't have to feed you. He doesn't have to save you, but he loves you. And so nothing will stop him from giving you what you need. And when we receive what we need, we give glory to our God in heaven. We're so stressed and anxious about many things because deep down, We believe it's our responsibility to provide for us, for ourselves. Because deep down, we believe that we can't enjoy the higher things of spirituality until we get our lives together, like Maslow said. But he lied to you. He lied to you. Our greatest need before anything else is intimacy with our creator to know that God wants to provide and that he will provide all that we need. And all we have, we come from, it comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Think about that hierarchy of needs. And if we can put the slide back up there, we'll, we'll do it. Talk about self-actualization, living your, your best life, having you know, all, all that you need. Scripture says that our identity is in Christ that he is our life. It says that we are dead, the scriptures say, but our life is hidden with Christ in God. When God looks at you, he sees his son. When we look at one another, we should see Christ in us. Through all of the sin, through all of the need, through all of you know all the garbage and we should see Jesus. Self actualization, bogus. Christ actualization. Through faith in him, you are in Christ. And Ephesians says that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Esteem, self worth, child of God, prince, princess. There's no greater esteem, no title, no confidence you can have in anything that you've done for yourself or anyone has done for you that is greater than that. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are a son, a daughter of the creator, the king of the universe. doesn't matter what your boss says about you. doesn't matter what some enemy in your life says about you. Esteem, you've got it all. All of it, love and belonging, look around you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this was one of the most beautiful things at the youth camp. Just seeing friends look at each other, standing up, recognizing, you want to follow Jesus? I want to follow Jesus too. I want to have your back. Will you have my back? Will you pray for me? Can we study the Bible together? Just embracing one another, weeping together because they have community. They have love. They have belonging. They have someone that understands their desire to follow Jesus. Don't worry about what everyone else is going to say about you in the world for following Jesus. Look around you. We're doing this together. You're here because at some point, whether you know it consciously or not, at some point there is something about Jesus that made you today go, I want to see what this is about. I want to see what Jesus is about. I want to see what the family of God is all about. And all of these things given to us by God's grace in his son, when we put our faith in Jesus. See, Jesus turns Maslow's hierarchy of needs completely upside down. Totally upside down. When we have Jesus, when we have this this relationship with the transcendent creator, it becomes a funnel that funnels down into our entire lives. And we have everything that we need in Christ. But what of the physiological needs? What of the safety needs? Are those unimportant? Not at all. But when we're operating in our identity of in Christ... As the family of God, then our security and our provision not only comes from God, but it comes through the body. It comes through the family of God. It comes through God's people. See, the prayer for daily bread is more than a prayer for what we need, it's also instruction to have concern for others' needs. This is shocking. Jesus taught us to pray, not my father, but our father. He taught us to pray, not give me this day, my daily bread, but give us this day, our daily bread. The only way we might be able to be truly faithful to the Lord's prayer is when we pray it corporately so that we can agree together, our and us, Lord, we need these things. Because the moment we're aware of our own needs, we're aware of the needs of others. Everyone has needs. And we should see it as our familial responsibility to pray for their needs. This is our greatest responsibility to ask God as provider to provide for them because their provision like ours is going to come from God. But if we take the familial language in the New Testament seriously, we know that our responsibility goes beyond prayer. Listen to James two fifteen through 16. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, brother or sister, believer in Jesus Christ, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is it to just pray for somebody, having the ability to meet their need and just pray for them without actually meeting their needs? He says, what good is that? This is right before the very famous line, faith without works is dead. It's fruitless. It's powerless. James doesn't say it's not there. James doesn't say you're not saved. But he says, your life is not bearing fruit. It's dead. It's not accomplishing anything. God's provision is to his people, corporately, in the same way that that my income is not my money and I'm like, kids, figure it out. It's God's provision to my family. In the same way as God's provision to you. It's not just for you. It is for others either now or in the future. It's for others. And many people are not providing for their church family. Not providing for one another. Seeing needs go unmet. In the ancient world, if poverty came upon one member of the family, It actually shamed the entire family. It was the family's responsibility to care for one another. And so each member of the family had a responsibility to provide and care for the other person. This isn't an afterthought. This is a core responsibility that God gives his people throughout the Bible. The one who has should give to the one who has need. Listen to Paul's concluding exhortation to Timothy. Timothy chapter six, verse 17 through 19, as for the rich in this present age, I just want to go ahead and say that's probably 99.9% of us. As we look at the world, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, the famous Tyler Durden quote from Fight Club, the things we own end up owning us. We are not our possessions. True life is not found in what you have or what you can enjoy. True life is reflecting the character of our creator to those around us. And our creator is a generous father, a generous provider, I don't think we can sincerely pray the Lord's prayer. Give us this day our daily bread if we are not willing to see God's provision to you as an opportunity to provide through you to those who have need. And God's provision of his son as a sacrifice for our sins and his provision in Christ of every spiritual blessing, as Ephesians 1.3 says, should give us confidence that he wants us. He wants to give us what we need. And so ask him, ask him for what you need. Knowing that he is able to provide far more abundantly anything that we could ever ask or imagine, ask him. Some of you have needs and you won't ask him. Some of you have needs and you won't ask him because you know there are greater spiritual needs. I'm not following Jesus. I'm sinning against Jesus. I'm living in unrepentant sin. Well, repent and ask him for what you need. We'll get into forgiveness next week but ask him for what you need. Don't neglect your responsibility to ask for what you need, but do not neglect either the responsibility to provide for one another. Ask him for what you need, but ask him for the wisdom and the generosity to use what he gives for his glory and the good of his people. Thank God for what you have and ask him for wisdom on how to use it. It was a perfect example of this actually playing out in the New Testament. This isn't just wishful thinking. This is how they lived. Acts 4, verses 34 through 35. There was not a needy person among them, speaking of the church, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. I find this very interesting. It ends by saying it was distributed to anyone as any had need, but it began by saying there was no needs among them. The reason there was no needs among them is because their needs were cared for by the body, by the church, by the family of God. And people will look at this and say, well, that's communism. No, it's not. None of this was forced. None of their generosity is forced. Neither will your generosity be forced. But if you are generous with what you have, eager to share, ready to share with those who have need, you will experience a blessing. I'm not going to preach prosperity gospel here. I'm not going to say that God's going to give you as much and more so. Might not. But the blessing is reflecting your creator, your generous Father to those around you. And knowing that you're participating in his work in the community where he's placed you. And know that this is going to be tough, right? We're not going to just be hearers of the word here. We're going to be doers of the word. We are going to respond to this. And it's going to be tough because money has our hearts. Wealth has our hearts. Comfort has our hearts. Uh, uh, Ease, lifestyle, it has our hearts. But Jesus wants your heart. And your money didn't die for you. Jesus wants our hearts because you have his heart. It's because that he loves you that he provided for you. It's because that he loves you that he died for you. He loves you eagerly, desperately, and wants to give you what you need. And you know that you have it because he gave everything. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, rich is an understatement. Okay, everything belongs to him. All the glory and wealth of heaven and earth, though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. Poor is an understatement. Was born in an animal's food trough. Lived in abject poverty. Raised by a teenage mother working manual labor. Was completely rejected by those who grew up with him. Poor is an understatement. But though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Lost everything so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Again, rich understatement he says that you will rule in the new heavens and the new earth with him that that you are a royal priesthood that you have everything you are a co-heir with christ jesus christ the only son of god deserves all in this world all of heaven and earth it is his inheritance from his father you have been united to him and you share in that Rich is an understatement. Church, you have everything, even though you might lose everything. Corey Tenboom is famous for saying that we may never know that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we have. And we don't know what's happening in our lives individually in our church. You might lose everything, but if you have Jesus, you have more than you deserve. In Jesus, you have every spiritual blessing. I want to close with this because this played out in a most beautiful and ironic way in the Roman Empire. There was a time in the Roman Empire where there was a great deal of need and the emperor, uh, Julian the Apostate, recognized the Christian church's generosity with those in need. And this is what he said to a pagan priest. He said, when it came about that the poor were neglected and overlooked by the pagan priests, then I think the impious Galileans or Christians, as they were called, observed this fact and devoted themselves to philanthropy. They support not only their poor, but ours as well. All men see that our people lack aid from us. And this was not just a commentary on the situation. Julian the apostate lamented over the fact that the Roman empire was looking at the Christians and looking to them to provide more than they were looking to the government, more than they were looking to the pagan uh, uh, Roman pantheon of gods. They were looking to the Christians and Julian would l- later go on to propose that the pagan priests should, should just see what the Christians were doing and then imitate them and just do what they were doing. What do you think would happen if we actually lived this way in Carpinteria? What do you think would happen if the Christian church in America actually started living this way? What if government saw the church and were just confused and offended by it? That's our job. If we can't do our job, we don't have power. What if if the church was so good at taking care of one another that like, The debates back in the day about socialized healthcare weren't even a thing because the government's like, what? The church is doing it. Or all the fears and concerns we have about education and how that's going. Did you know that the churches built the first hospitals? Built by Christians, the first universities built by Christians. My goodness, how far have we fallen? How lukewarm have we become? Neither hot nor cold. How useless are we? We don't even take care of those in this room, much less thinking about greater institutions like higher learning and healthcare. What if the church was so active in caring for one another that the government's like, we got too much taxes. Should we like build some roads or something? Or what, like, what do we, what do we do with it? What if they saw the value in the church, not because we just give people hope and comfort when they're having a hard time, but because we're actually doing work that people need. This is not an inappropriate application of this. Our daily bread, our provision, our responsibility to receive from the hand of God to hold with open hands and share with one another. What if we lived this way and looked like Jesus and showed the world that the gospel was true because only a God who would die for us would mobilize a people to lay down our lives, to lay down our wealth, to lay down our comforts, to lay down what God has given us. Freely we have received, freely we shall give. What if we live this way? This is not pie in the sky. It happened in the early church. It needs to be happening now. Know for certain that everything you have came from God. I know you worked hard. I know you worked hard. I know your paychecks have your employer's signature on it. They're just a conduit. It came from God as we were made in the garden to work and to keep the garden, to to labor for God's glory. God provides for us when we do the things that we were created to do. Everything you have, it belongs to God. It came from God. And I think if we held it with open hands and distributed to one another, they wouldn't just see a generous church. They would see a father in heaven who loves them and is generous with them. And they will see Jesus Christ in you, alive, in glory, distributing wealth, distributing abundance through his people. Church, in this new season, I don't know where we will be, but I know that we have an opportunity to one another. We have a responsibility to one another and we have a responsibility to this city to love these people in Jesus name with a godly generosity and they will see God in his people because that's the way he designed it. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for all that you've provided. And God, we're sorry that we have not used what you have provided all the time as you desire, for clinging to it to build our own kingdoms, Lord. We're sorry. Forgive us, we know not what we do. I pray, Lord, that in this time we would see how beautiful and generous you are, that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. And I pray that we would not only receive the things that we have as a good gift, but that we would receive one another as a good gift. That you would unite us and that we would love you and love one another as you see fit. And so right now, God, I wanna pray that the grip that we have on stuff would just fall away that you would break the chains that keep our hearts bound to material possessions. It's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to be wealthy. But God, when our grip is so tightly around these things, Lord, we cannot receive what you desire to give us. And so Lord, I pray that you'd break these chains. You would set us free from bondage to these things. That we would receive everything we have as from you. And that you would make us a generous people. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.